as we continue to worship this morning and uh, we interact with our teaching text. want to sing this little refrain, opening ourselves up to whatever God might want to say to us this morning. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. This is from John 21, verses 1 through 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here's my heart, Lord. my heart, Lord. Hear 
Lord, would you speak to us as you spoke to your disciples all those years ago? Would you cut through uh, the noise of our lives and even our own expectations? And would you speak to our hearts? Empower us to partnership with you in this world. In Christ's name, amen. It's really great to see you. There's no doubt about it. Uh, this morning here at Marceau Bible Church feels a lot like yesterday did in our neighborhood. Like it's coming alive, right? We got people outside, we even fired up the grill, we got neighbor kids running over, and uh, it just feels like spring. It just feels right. So to partner with you in this work feels really, really good. If we haven't met before, my name's Tim, I'm one of our pastors here, and um, Spring, every year, reminds me of one particular spring that was really meaningful for us. Uh, 2013, uh, my wife Allie and I made one of the most important and difficult decisions we've ever had to make as parents. After a long season of waiting and fighting and praying, our oldest son uh, finally came home to his forever home with us. And as adoptive parents, we made the decision to uh, cocoon, that's what we call it, uh, what essentially means we decided to create an isolation pods, an isolation pod years before it was trendy, right? It was, it was just us, and we knew that upon our son's arrival home to the States. Many of our friends, oh, are we getting all, yeah, it's up there. Anyway, uh, when he came home to the States, many of our family and friends and prayer warriors who had carried us for so long wanted nothing more and to surround us with love and gifts. And we craved that. As new parents, we needed that. But we knew from reading and all the trainings we'd been to and studying the research that it was more important in the wake of significant trauma that this little man needed safety and consistency. When a person is living with toxic stress or in chaos, we often think mistakenly the thing they need most is love. But neurodevelopmental trauma research will tell us that what we really crave is safety before we can love. Felt safety that's expressed through predictability and consistency and connection. And so we locked it down for like two months just us, the three of us, we prioritized attachment and bonding, and instead of baby showers and play dates, we locked into establishing family routines and the predictable patterns that would allow our family to thrive into the future. In the face of unthinkable or unexpected changes, like moving continents as a young child, or watching your Messiah, friend, and rabbi be killed and buried and raised again, what we need most is to feel supported, to be reoriented into these predictable patterns so that we can have proper expectations for the future that yield trust in the relationship that we need most. So you may have guessed it, that this is not just for kids. 
This is also for adults, for Jesus' disciples and us, who, though the risen Lord had appeared to them a couple times by the time we get to chapter 21 in John. If you didn't get a chance to check out Tara Beth Leach's teaching on this last week, please do so. But Jesus has appeared a few times to his disciples. And I'd imagine they are still left with many questions like, you just gonna like keep showing up here or not? Like, are you, I know you're like not dead, like the rest of the people are dead, you're alive, but are you just gonna keep showing up in our lives? What can we expect? What kind of, what, how do we live? What's our relationship with you, risen Lord? And so there's a lot of swirling questions. In our text today in John 21, I think John sets out to answer some of those questions. 21, chapter 21 of John is it's really interesting because it's not really needed. Don't quote me on that publicly. But John himself says, he, he basically wraps up the book. At the end of chapter 20, where Tara Beth was last week, he says, and there are libraries full of other deeds and stories so that you may trust. And it has this really neat ending. It's like over. But I think what John, the writer, is trying to do for us, for his first century listeners, is clue us into all the questions that yet remain. Like how in the world do we interact with this risen Lord? What kind of expectations or predictable patterns are gonna show up that allow us to flourish in following this Jesus? And so today when we start to ask some of those questions, we lean into our forward direction. This is where we ask these couple questions, like what is God saying? And what am I going to do about it? Knowing that when we're leaning forward, the Holy Spirit is forming something inside of us that we are gonna need for the next season. So keep those questions in mind. What's God saying here? And then what am I gonna do about it? What is our response to the Lord? These predictable patterns that Jesus is setting up for his disciples in chapter 21, they revolve around four things. Actually, four things that Jesus says. He only says four short lines in this whole section of text. So this isn't just another story about Jesus being Jesus, even though it is. So verse five starts with this. Friends, haven't you any fish? Simple question. Verse 6, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught. And verse 12, come and have breakfast. These four simple phrases, each carefully recorded by John, correspond to show us each a predictable pattern of the way Jesus wishes to work in the world. Namely, that, that God wants to speak with us. Two, that God wants to guide and bless us. God also wants to partner with us. And Jesus wishes to commune with us. Sound okay? Can we go there? All right. Last week, uh, Brian mentioned it too. We're, we're going into this, this uh, book of Zechariah. True confession. Years of seminary. Years of graduate school did not prepare me that it's spelled Z-E-C-H. I thought it was Zachariah for all these years. So you're welcome when you're on Jeopardy next. 
But we're going to dig into Zechariah in the month of May. And as we sat with our teaching team, looking at this passage, prayerfully considering what does this mean for us, there was a moment when we just kind of stood back in awe that God would choose to go to such great lengths to communicate with his beloved. That God would willingly put himself not only in flesh, but in word and in dream and in vision to communicate something to you and I and his beloved people. What humility of this God. Knowingly to be misunderstood, misquoted, and misused, and yet have such a longing inside of God's self to connect that is willing to risk that just to speak to his people. Jesus desires to speak to us. Just as the first rays of dawn, I imagine, are hitting the Sea of Galilee where they're fishing, the disciples hear a voice. Friends, haven't you any fish? And maybe before they processed auditorily what was happening, they're caught up in the scene. Darkness is turning to light, and a voice carries out over the waters. You see, what John is doing here in chapter 1 is the same thing that John was doing in John 1, and the writers of Genesis 1 were doing. Let's, let's rewind that tape a little bit. Genesis 1, what is one of the first things we find out about this God? In the beginning, we find out there was creator, spirit, and word. And by the beginning of verse 3, we see that, and God said. And again, God said. And God said, as the spirit was hovering over the waters and light and darkness were beginning to take shape, voice carried over the waters. In the beginning, there was the word. And we fast forward from Genesis 1 to John 1 which opens with what? In the beginning was the word. And a few lines later, we see, and there was light. Light shines in the darkness. The darkness is not overcome it. It's as if John is saying, this is part of the same story. Creation to new creation which is being made even new in the resurrected Jesus. As Jesus calls out over the waters, as light begins to shine in the darkness, he calls to them waters that were once disordered and unproductive. Life, fish, 153 of them come from the depths. It's as if John is painting a picture here of the kingdom, although not fully realized. He's saying Jesus is doing what he always has done. Speaking light into darkness and order into chaos, Jesus is still speaking. Lads, have you caught anything? Jesus opens the dialogue, initiating the conversation like God does again and again. John is telling us that God, the resurrected Christ, is doing the same thing that God has always been doing to connect with us. I don't know where you are coming from today or what your tradition 
is. If you find yourself in this room or watching online or listening later, if you come from a tradition where God is silent and not to be bothered, I pray this text speaks to you and let it sink in that the God of the universe wants to talk to you, wants to connect with you. Brendan Manning says it better. You are blessed. God's desire is for you. And Jesus is the incarnation of God's furious longing. He's your supreme lover, it's true. You are blessed. Your soul's winter is over. The snows are over and gone. Flowers are blooming inside of you. The season of joyful songs has come to you. You are blessed. The love of God is folly. No one is excluded. All really can come to the banquet table. This God desires you. Predictable and reliable as the sunrise. God wants to speak with you. So practically, where is there one moment in your week that you can take a pause to set aside some time to hear from and connect with Jesus? If you're a calendar person, put it in there. If you're a hand note writer like I am, just write it on your hand. Really, is there something practical this week where you can pause and hear the voice of Jesus who desires to speak with you with predictability as regular as the sun? Fishermen don't like to be told where to fish. A few years ago, I was, found myself on a gold medal trout stream in Colorado. I was just laying it down. I mean, I was like Robert Redfording this thing. I was just laying out the fly. Silence. It was beautiful. And then along comes a hiker. And instead of just admiring my cast, he says, hey man, I know where you can find some biggins down yonder. And I don't care if they were the biggest fish ever. Don't tell me my business Well, I am fishing. And I think that Jesus knows this. He's, he's been around fishing plenty long. What he's doing is not razzing these disciples. He's not being like, yo, you missed something. But instead, if you begin to say, where is he? He's in the Sea of Galilee. They don't fish with poles, they fish with nets. And a lot of the time, they would work in tandem, the folks in the, net, in the boat with the nets would work with a spotter, someone who was on land or on another boat. And this spotter would call out to them in the early darkness of the morning when they saw the fish rise, a school of fish large enough to catch, uh, throw your nets over, they'd say, hey, there they are. And so Jesus speaks these second words. He says to them, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. He's not busting their chops. He's not even necessarily working, quote unquote, a a miracle. But what he's doing is he is guiding his friends to their next best step, pointing the way in the darkness where they couldn't quite see it on their own. Miracles of fish do happen. 
And even John is well aware of this. I don't think he's trying to create another one of those moments. He's trying to show us, again, one of these predictable patterns of Jesus that exist then and now. That Jesus wishes to guide and bless and provide for his followers. He shows himself here to be trustworthy, to be provider, Jehovah Jireh, giver of all good things. Reminds me of this text in Luke chapter 11. Which of your fathers, Jesus says, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, even know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven bless you with the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, Jesus knows these guys need to eat. And so he does bless them with fish. But more so, I think he is reminding them, and John is reminding us, that the power of the Spirit is guiding them and has not left them. John is assuring the early church and us that the words and ways of Jesus are trustworthy and true. That God can be trusted in the darkness, trusted when things are not working out, trusted where, you, where you're not catching anything, when the resumes aren't getting callbacks, when the jobs just aren't there, when the fights keep continuing, when there's no way forward. This Jesus is trustworthy and true. Because he's the same God who freed the enslaved and parted the seas, brought water in the desert, put forward a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to guide and provide for his beloved. John is saying that's still happening. That predictable pattern of God is still at play. Now and then today. I think somebody needs this verse this morning. It's Psalm 32. I will guide you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel and care for you, says the Lord. To catch the fish, you see, the disciples had to surrender their initial unsuccessful fishing plans. Could the Spirit, friends, be bringing up in you right now? Is there a dream, a hope, a fear, a loss, an anxiety that needs to be surrendered to the trusting and true guide that is Jesus Christ. So Lord, would you hear our prayers? Would they rise to you? Verse 10. Jesus says to the disciples, bring some of the fish you've just caught. This text is clear. Like if you, if you remember what Mary's reading, and if you read it or have it in front of you, the text is very clear. Jesus has already has a fire going and has fish and bread, locks and bagels, breakfast time. So why ask? Why ask the disciples? Does the, does the Lord of creation need fish? No. He wants them. What God really wants is partners. I think what John is trying to tell us is not that Jesus needs fish. We don't need to be fishing for Jesus. What Jesus is looking for 
his people to partner with him in his redemptive work. This is timeless and true. God has been looking for partners since the beginning of the narrative, since the opening pages of Genesis until the end. God is looking for people to join in what he's doing, to willingly say yes to the invitation from Sarah, Abraham, Ruth, David, Esther, the disciples, Mary. A few weeks ago, we celebrated the Feast of the Annunciation. Okay, I did, Troy did, maybe. But this is the time in the historical church calendar when the churches around the world celebrate Mary's yes to the Lord. Saying yes to partnering in mind and soul and body with the work of God. Saying yes to the invitation because God is looking for partners. The implicit truth here is that we have gifts to bring. It's not what you've earned or your accomplishments. Jesus is so generous in this text. Bring the fish you have caught. Hardly. Jesus guided them and provided for them. But he generously says, bring what you have and join with me. I think, I actually think John is writing furiously at this point, trying to paint this picture for us. Imagine intending the reader, the first century Palestine, to say, look, God is looking for partners like he always has. So bring what you've got. Bring what God has given you. Join the everlasting song that is this gospel chorus and give your life for the sake of the world. I imagine the disciples unsure and how to engage with this Jesus who's then asking them to bring something he's already given them. I think for them, who their eyes have been opened to the, to the reality of the resurrected God, I think they're a little unsure. I think they're like, yeah, yeah but what do I have to offer? What, what gift can I bring? That refrain comes up again. I'm not schooled, I'm not well-read, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not that. And I don't think those are just their concerns. They're certainly mine. I think they're yours too. We've counted ourselves out from participating and bringing what we've got. As your pastor, I often get a front row seat to this particular sin that we share. We often here feel coming off, we fear that we're coming off as prideful. And so we fail to boldly claim the good gifts of God in our life. We fail to recognize and lay hold of the ways Jesus has blessed each of us to participate in the kingdom work for fear of pride or overstating. We internally say, I, I don't want to be too much. I don't have the right education. I haven't read the right books. I don't know the right people. I don't this. Or I haven't had all the experiences. Or I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. Or I am just a fill in the blank. 
But I know from our conversations over the years and being privy to your lives and our collective lives together that that's not what Jesus is seeing when he asks you to come and bring what you've got. Don't count yourself out, Mars Hill Bible Church, for fear of being too prideful. God has blessed you. So instead of, I can't, I shouldn't, I don't have, I am just, when I look around this room and knowing our stories, I see generosity, long-suffering, forgiveness, mercy, leadership. I see strength and mercy and more blessings than the book of John could hold that you bring to the table. So don't count yourself out. These gifts are needed in this next season where we're trying to step into God's dreams and vision for us and be faithful. Jesus may not need these things, but he deeply desires you to bring what you've got. And friends, this is a hard thing to name. I, sh I shy away from some of the gifts God has given me for fear of all sorts of things, honestly. And so I'm gonna offer us just a few moments. We're gonna take maybe two minutes. And I want you to, to come in boldness into a conversation with God and say, Lord, where have you blessed me? What, have, what gifts have you given me? What are you inviting me to bring to the table? Just take a few minutes for that. Lord, in, in these moments, would you, in your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts? Would you help us lay hold of the gifts you have given us? The holy things that you have put in us for your kingdom work. Would you allow us to name them? Hear your voice speaking. And then, oh Lord, would you give us our best next step? What should we do in response to your voice? family, would you hear the voice of Jesus saying, come, bring what you've got. Would the Spirit empower you to name what seems maybe unspeakable or too bold? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of courage. For it is Jesus who is inviting 
each of us to bring what we've got to participate in the resurrection life that he has planned. John in this text is saying, this is how Jesus is gonna be. Continually inviting you to participate. As God is looking for partners. And then Jesus closes with this. He says, come to breakfast. Come and have a meal with me. I'm sure the disciples say, yeah, we've, we've heard that before. That was good. Come and join at the table. Because God is a God who has the predictable pattern of wanting to commune with us, to connect with us, to feed us, to sustain us. And John's inviting us to see that too. For, for some of you who may hear that there is a lot of us in this text, maybe that feels uncomfortable. Maybe it feels like, whoa, whoa, how can God doesn't need to be concerned with us? Is this just something that has helped us feel better? A little self-help talk? No. God's all about you. But the disciples, when they hear this, they have no illusion that this is going to be easy or that this is just pumping up their egos. They know what the rabbi gets is what they're eventually going to get. And they hear the echo of Jesus' call, come and die. So no, it's not just all about us. But would you hear the voice of Jesus inviting you to what is next, to participate and to commune? All who are weary and heavy laden, come and let your burdens be lifted. Let the Spirit of God name the blessings and gifts that are in you. And Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Come return to the meal. I think the disciples, I hope they know that this meal is not just one that's over, but it's everlasting. And I think John's readers know that when Jesus says, come and have breakfast, he means come participate in the life and sustenance that is available now. And so we turn and do the same. Say, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Just weeks before this, maybe, Jesus sits down with his disciples. And as they sit, he takes this bread, bread that shows up again and again and again. He breaks it and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after dinner, he takes, he takes the cup. He says, this is the new covenant. This is the new promise. This is the pattern of my love for you into the future. It's my blood poured out. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So friends, let's pray. Lord, you've been inviting your people to eat and feast for so long. Would you renew us this morning at this table? Would you take these simple elements or the ones that we have gathered around the region and our homes, and would they be to us the body and blood of Jesus? 
Would your spirit make transforming work of this meal in us so that we can lay hold of the gifts and participation that you have for us? We ask this in Christ's name. So friends, as we eat, we have tables around this room, places you can pray. Online, if you're joining us, we have an online prayer wall, marshill.org slash prayer wall, where you can say, I need, some, I need some help, I need some guidance, I need some prayer. Do some business with the Lord. I have, a, I have an imagination that this breakfast lasted all day. Denny's ain't got nothing on Jesus. That, that this meal on the beach is a long, long conversation. As these disciples figure out, Lord, where have you, where have you gifted me? Where should I join you? How can this be? So friends, take your time and do business with the Lord. Because we do this, we, we enter and proclaim the mystery of our faith in this meal that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Friends, come and receive who you are, the body of Jesus Christ.